Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Ben Passmore. Uh, ben, just uh, today, actually, while we're recording this, uh, was nominated for an Ignatz Award. Uh, I think it's at Best Comic. Oh, I don't even remember. Best Story or something for Your Black Friend, uh, which came out uh, last year um, as well. You can find Ben in books like Daglo A-Hole, and what's this other one I picked up? Goodbye, and... Uh, you have a bunch of stuff online, including um, you've been doing nonfiction stuff up on the nib, and 
What was the series you sent me? Pantomime something? Oh, Pantomime Horse, yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that's just on my Tumblr. It's okay. eventually, yeah, it's eventually going to get all printed, I think, through Radiator Comics. Okay. And uh, folks, if you want to buy stuff, uh, Silver Sprocket uh, for now is your destination, I guess, the best spot to go. Yeah, yeah. The, I had some self-published stuff from way back that you can get off of Radiator Comics. Oh, okay. Um, thank you for joining me today, Ben. For sure. Um, now, as you've probably heard before, uh, your black friend uh, is fantastic. Um, I got it. I think they Silver Sprocket sent me a package of stuff. And like folks had mentioned the book to me, but my own ignorance, I hadn't gotten around to checking it out. Um, and the, the cover was great. And then the insides were fantastic too. Um, but then kind of getting to know your work more, uh, it's not really indicative of your general career of comics or the stuff you've been putting out. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I find that really fascinating and I kind of want to get into like, um, get to that point to doing that book, but I feel like there's a lot of other stuff you went through to do that book or how that book kind of maybe comes out of necessity. Um, mm. But it's not like your first direction for the comics you want to make. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's definitely like the, the comic that people have read the most, but it's the, yeah, I agree. It's like the least, yeah, the least indicative of like what I do. Or what I, yeah, even how I like to address sort of, like, uh, ideas around, like, alienation and shit like that. Like, I used to, like, I usually like to draw, like, weird monsters <laughs> and uh, people people stabbing the problem. But, um, but yeah, so it's it's been, yeah, it's been uh, sort of crazy to have people respond to to that. Or for people to be like, yeah, Ben Passmore, very serious <laughs> um, <laughs> comics about um, current issues, socio-political, um, which is which is funny. I mean, you know, I take I take those things real serious, but I don't know. I always found like, um, you know, like really really serious political comics. Like I would read them, but I often didn't find them to be very good. Um, or, uh, or like very convincing. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't yeah. know. I guess I'm making them now, which makes me hypocrite. <laughs> well, I mean, when you look at like say an old issue of World War Three Illustrated, there'd be like, I'd say like 25 percent would be like really great comics, and the rest yeah. was just like the filler of like whatever crusty punk Seth Tomakin mm-hmm. would get together to kind of fill up the rest of it or something. Um, right. That's a bad generalization. <laughs> no, I mean I basically agree. I mean that was that was my shit, but um, but it, you know it like doesn't even age very well. I mean both because it's yeah I guess it's like whatever it is what it is. But yeah, I just I it, I just I didn't like it outside of like a very specific period where I was like really into back patches and talking about the Bush administration. Uh, and now here we are, we're going to talk about the Trump administration. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No uh, backpatches, though. Yeah, no more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> but I guess before getting to that, I want to 
I want to know more about the the previous war or previous and current uh, more post apocalyptic uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of like where your interest was in comics um, that was kind of getting you to want to do stuff and do work like that. Was that kind of like the work you started out doing, or? Um, I mean, like when I um, I think I think like. For a while, I was really trying to do like really serious, like straight up political comics, like like World War Three. Even okay. before I knew like World War Three existed, like in high school, I was a part of this. Like, I went to this weird reform school, and we had this like weird, um, like weird, uh, like student revolt, um, and that just like put me on this path of like being like, you know what? Like, I gotta write about, gotta write a world like politics and power and corruption man and um and yeah and I I went to I went to college um and in college I was like you know reading Howard Zinn and like (laughs) (laughs) lots of like dry dry like far leftist you know stuff um what have uh, they done to our country yeah like wake up sheeple um and, uh, and I don't know, like, <laughs> I, I think I made a lot of really terrible comics that were really preachy and, um, yeah. I got out of school and I tried to draw, write this like insanely long comic that just was a cross section of my fetishizing train culture and, um, this, uh, what is it? It's like early turn of the century anarchist union organization, which uh, turned out to not be very good. Um, And I was in New Orleans and I was like, and I spent a lot of time on that fucking comic and I was like, Oh my God, I wasted my whole life. Um, Is there a way to like, just have fun drawing comics um, that won't bore the shit out of people. And that's sort of like the, the seed or the like the the kickoff point for Dave Glory Hole, which um, oh, okay, yeah, I feel like. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna oh, go say ahead. I feel like the first thing people usually say about Dave Glory Hole is something like I feel like you're, they're like um, I feel like you're not taking things very seriously, which is which is maybe <laughs> accurate. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's something to be said about the catharsis of post-apocalyptic work <laughs> um now kind of being steeped in punk punk rock culture and stuff were you into a lot of zines when you were younger or kind of what kind of stuff were you looking at um i mean what i was like i was the most i was the most punk for like a hot second in my early 20s when i was like a teenager there were no punks where i grew up there was there was like rednecks and then there was like me and a couple other brown kids that like, you know, we had like MTV and like weak radio signals from like New York with like top 40, like hip hop, um, which is just like a lot of like getting those Tim's that like were, were like for loggers or whatever, <laughs> but you know, wearing like long, long like what is it department store like jeans over them just so people wouldn't know that they were the locker tins and uh like, 
So I was just like, and then, um, yeah, so that was, that was just my grind until, until my twenties when I got out of where I grew up in Western Massachusetts, um, and found out that you could be broke and dirty and, uh, and sexy, which was a revelation. Um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, I guess I was going to say that. Oh yeah. And then that, at that point I was reading, like, I think I was reading like a lot of like manga, um, and, and some zines, um, you know, some art school cuisines, but, uh, not before that, before that it was all like like, two superhero comics and junk. Just like a lot of collage and shit in the art school stuff or. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, people drawing their feet and shit, you know? What'd you go to school for? Um, I went to school for cartooning and illustrations. Oh, okay. Or they call it they call it sequential art. I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, is that the program where they like have a lot of connections to Oni at one point? That might be true. They didn't tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> but that might be true. The way they sold themselves was uh, was that there was a lot of live drawing for people dressed up like pirates in like cosplay outfits, and that's they. I remember in the tour they sold that really hard. Do you remember? Was there any kind of folks that you went to school with that are you still connected with? Kind of cartoon peers from there? Not not really. There's um there's Pranis, um whose last name I can't fucking pronounce. But you, I mean, you must know Pranus. Um, he does like kids comics. It's gonna kill me if I don't name drop him right. Um, <laughs> but he's really the only one. Uh, he's really the only one um, that I see on the regular. That does I think comics. There, I think a couple of former teachers there now teach in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember their names right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so was that kind of your first connection into into the world of like comics as a community and other cartoonists and stuff or are you kind of always kind of not really been super involved in that um it was definitely the first time i met a bunch of other people that like to draw comics um i think because of like when i went to college like i was a little older um and i felt like fairly or unfairly the kids that my college were kind of sheltered. I didn't really chill with other uh, comics kids um, all that much. You know, they were like, they were whimsical and, you know, finding themselves, but um, that, that looked kind of different. Um, I was, I think I was 20 when I started college, which is a, now... Is, I know is like a baby, but at the time I thought I was like, <laughs> you know, forty years old. <laughs> no, I I know I went to university. Fuck, I think uh, I was like twenty seven, mm-hmm. and I felt like I felt like a grandfather. Oh damn! Then, like I just like these. 19 20 year old kids jesus can't stand them and now i look back and like uh 27 year olds i can't even really tell the difference to be honest no um, i know that's the thing it's like 
anything below 30 is just like an area for me that's just like younger people <laughs> i'm sorry if i've sounded like an asshole no, it, no it's fine <laughs> i was what i was going worse i was i was just like i feel like like i'm gonna be how old am i gonna be i'm gonna be 34 soon and uh at this point like people in their early 20s seem so young that they become desexualized to me so now I'll just yeah. be, I'll see someone younger. I'll be like, that's a really cute kid. As if I was watching like, you know, middle schoolers playing in the, like a schoolyard yeah. or something. Like, I wonder what they'll grow up to be. <laughs> this big crazy uh, world. <laughs> they haven't been broken yet. Life, life hasn't destroyed their will. Yet. <laughs> I was on a date recently and found out the person was 23 and I just, it was over. I was like, all right, we're going to finish this episode of Love and Hip Hop, and I'm just going to go home. <laughs> um, now, did you it move uh, to New Orleans after going to school? To, like, did you finish at, at SCAD? Or... Yeah, yeah, I, I graduated. Um, I didn't go directly to New Orleans. I, um, I went to Canada. Um, like north of Toronto, where is it? It's like called Samagami. Anyway, it's really wooded. I'd be like, yeah, a, like a wilderness counselor for troubled teens. Um, <laughs> okay, which was chill, but it just meant getting eaten by mosquitoes and hearing kids whine a lot in the woods. Um, but it was cool. But I I traveled for like a year um, after getting out of that, and then I moved to New Orleans after that. When did you kind of give up on uh, the Great Train Union epic book in that period? Um, I think it was within my first year of being there. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, New Orleans, I mean, there's a, a bunch of things happened, but um, I realized it was very boring. Um, and also, you meet enough, like, Googles, and you really become... Uh, <laughs> disillusioned with the whole culture really quickly uh, when you live in yeah. New Orleans because it's such a hub um, yeah. and, a, and a bunch of other things it also just turns out that a union that um, has basically been irrelevant since 1914 um, doesn't have you know whatever a whole lot of interest <laughs> in the early 2000s um now, living in New Orleans, um, that was like what ten years ago. Um, there probably that you were there, or that I was there. That you were there. I've never been there. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. I just I moved there. No, it's been less than that. I um, because I think I only I lived there seven years, so I think I moved there in like I think oh nine. And I know you've been writing a lot about gentrification lately, and I'm wondering if that's where you kind of like first saw firsthand of just like how drastic it works. It wasn't the first time. I mean, in college, like Savannah, like New Orleans, is an impoverished, mostly black city. Um, okay. And uh, and the and SCAD really has contributed a lot. Well, especially when I lived there to the to the redevelopment and um the uh the displacement of the black 
black population in Savannah. And it happened really quickly. Um, so that was really the first time, like where I grew up. Yeah. I mean, where I grew up, no one was trying to move to. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the black population is very, is very small. Um, so yeah, it was really the first time seeing it, uh, you know, be as dramatic, um, as pervasive yeah. as it was. And then New Orleans was, yeah, very, very similar, but at an even larger scale, you know, cause it's a larger city. And it was, it seemed really, especially New Orleans, like just that's kind of policy in a way too. Mm, yeah. So we're going to make this city great again is displace everyone or the people are already mm-hmm. displaced keep them displaced yeah yeah i mean that's a whole naomi klein style <laughs> series <laughs> of rants but yeah definitely like after <laughs> katrina they really um have gone went whole hog on on privatization and displacement it's really crazy it's it i mean it's so gentrified at this point that like Several generations, pre, previous generations of gentrifiers are getting kicked out of their neighborhoods and screaming about gentrification. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're way ahead of way ahead of the rest of the country. And I mean, sort of, I mean, also relevant to Dayglo a hole. That was like my realization that that punk or that uh, yeah, punk subculture was contributing to the displacement of impoverished black people. Um, yeah was definitely one of the things that, yeah, ended up inspiring, um, you know, parts of Dayglo A-Hole. I'm really interested in the style in Dayglo A-Hole. Um, I, I, I pronounced it really Canadian, didn't I? Um, <laughs> Did you? Dayglo A-Hole, eh? I think so. <laughs> Day- <laughs> so about Dayglo A-Hole, eh? Um... <laughs> So it's a guy, and he's uh, he collects pornography, eh? Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, he's a but, uh, sti- <laughs> he, he, well, he, he seems like a pretty decent fella. Uh, there are some hosers though there, though. Um, those police are not nice men. <laughs> Guess they'd be called Mounties. No, Mounties are all the FBI. Uh, no. Well, what it is. Uh, here, here's your Canadian uh, law enforcement lesson for everyone. Um, so we have the Mount, the Mounties Royal Canadian Mounted Police is a general police for the whole country, except for um, certain regions, like City of Vancouver has its own police department. Uh, Toronto, uh, they have the Ontario Provincial Police, mm-hmm. um, the OPP, which um, you probably met some of the less nice folks in, in Ontario in your time there, because they're kind of um, famously horrible. Um, and I don't know what the deal is in Quebec, uh, but, like, the RCMP kind of covers, like, your rural areas. Mm-hmm. The suburb I live in, too, we have, I live in, we have RCMP. Um, and so they kind of do a little bit of FBI... Uh, but we also have CSIS, which is our, like, Canadian kind of more FBI, FBI, slash CIA. They're basically the guys who you see at protests in, like, Hawaiian shirts taking photos of everyone. Huh. Um, so. Damn. I didn't know Canada had it like that. I thought it was just, like, a, a squad of beaver wranglers, and then everyone else is too polite for crime. 
<laughs> yeah, no, um, where, where I live, um, it's, it's super fucked up. Um, I don't know if you know much about Vancouver. Um, we have a really large populace of active drug users. Mm-hmm. In, in Oh yeah, the last downtown. kid row, right? The last kid row yeah. in America, yeah. And, I mean, it was, apparently, they like to say it was actually where the name Skid Row came from, because it was a logging neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Logs that come off on skids. Um, and so we had this thing in the 90s where a lot of indigenous women would go missing, and the police didn't do anything about it. Right, yeah, I heard and that. people were saying, we actually know who it is. You guys should go check out this pig farmer out in Pocoquitlam. Uh, and they went, eh. And literally to the point where, like, some women had ran away and said this guy, and they still didn't do anything, and finally um, they did something, and it's turned out he's killed, like, I think they have 57 definite links um, to him. And that's, like, what they know, what they've got DNA for, um, just, like, finding little parts of... I'm going real deep, sorry. Um, (laughs) Okay. So, like, a lot of the police did not handle that well. Yeah, yeah. And it's very indicative of the situation for Indigenous folks uh, in Canada, um, where there's definite uh, a bad parity there. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. I mean, I've been going to Canada, like, at least once a year for, like, the last 11 years, because I used to work up there. And uh, I got friends up there. Actually, it's one of the things that I commiserate sometimes with particularly Northeast black people that meet Canadians because Canadians are like really weird about race. And that's one of them. Like there's been more like, especially when it's still like the Bush administration in one breath, like a Canadian would be like, it's terrible what Bush is doing to people of color in the country. We don't have racism here. All we have are these lazy drunk Indians. (laughs) <laughs> like there seems like there's a some cross wires there. Yeah. Oh, I mean it's 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 messy in a lot of ways. I mean, you have like folks in really rural northern communities probably not far from where you were at that camp who like they don't have drinking water. Right. I mean, you talk about Flint, Michigan, we had the same thing with indigenous communities in northern Ontario. Um and then you have indigenous communities in uh, Northwest Territories in the Yukon where, you know, a head of lettuce will be $20. Damn. That's all water, too. And I, um, I'm not joking. Like, that's that's the situation because it's a controlled market and under the previous Prime Minister there was supposed to be moves to um, make these things affordable uh, to subsidize that, and just the companies that do the selling out there just pocketed the money and just kept the rates the same. Mm. That's wild. Yeah. Um, and, you, I mean, that's just an example of indigenous. And we have, there's lots of other stuff. Yeah. There are, there are problems. Um, the whole world's burning down. I think, uh, <laughs> I, I think um, maybe Daglo A-Hole is uh, prophetic. <laughs> Uh, that might be optimistic, because you at least still can find pornography and snacks in Big Loyal. You know, this is like two of your three basics right there. <laughs> What's the third? I don't know. Um, Fago. 
I guess maybe. <laughs> Are you planning on going to the uh, the Juggalo march when you go to SPX? Oh man, I'm really thinking about it. <laughs> they might win the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, if I just I just feel like what a great story to have this panned, disrespected subculture um, solve at least some of the problems of white supremacy in the United States. They would they would finally be figuring out a way for me to put up with white dreadlocks. Uh, definitely, <laughs> I might even rock face paint. <laughs> they really do a good you, job. You might let out a whoop whoop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be part of that family. <laughs> for 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 listeners that don't know, on uh, September sixteenth in DC, the uh, the Juggles, the um, the insane clown posse family, um, I forget the name of their records, uh, are planning a mass demonstration because the Juggalos are listed as a terrorist group by the FBI. Um, and so this has been planned for a long time to really do a good event, and recently a prominent uh, neo-Nazi, I don't want to say prominent because that gives it some kind of agency, but mm-hmm. a bunch of horrible douchebags are planning an event that same day, and their marches are going to crisscross each other, and the Juggalos are uh, very upfront about their feelings towards uh, white supremacy and mm-hmm. um, being quite against it. So kudos to them for basically making their whole brand off co-opting uh, hip hop culture. Um, <laughs> I guess. I guess. Really, they're finally giving back. I think we might. <laughs> I don't want to speak for for the, the whole black community, but we might give them a pass, <laughs> depending on how this march goes. I mean, some people are. I mean, we give like Justin Timberlake a pass. So, and he's not. He's not hatcheting Nazis. So, yeah, I don't know. He hasn't done anything to deserve anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not ready to cape for uh, for Justin Timberlake myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, back to Dayglo Ahol. Okay. Um I want to talk about the style specifically and I'm wondering um kind of what you were into that's informing that mm. one of the presumptions i had in my head was like brian ralph and like some of the more um straightforward fort thunder stuff and i don't know if that stuff's been his interest to you at all i didn't even know about about fort thunder until like a like a little while ago so that you know it wasn't a definitely wasn't like a direct influence um Mm-hmm. I mean, what I was thinking about, I think the most was Crazy Cat, um, like oh, George really? Harriman. Yeah, when I was originally um, thinking about the pacing, and I think even the like the first issues just got like, yeah, like a lot of the like like trying for like more phonetic um, spelling for the writing, um, the way that like. You know, like, I, the first issue especially, like, I thought it was funny how in Crazy Cat, like, the background, like, basically the whole environment panel panel would change 
even though the you know the characters inside weren't moving. Yeah. Um. So st- stuff like that, um, I thought was real fun. Just this anonymous backdrop that you kind of flow through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other stuff. I mean, that was ma- that was mainly it. I had like watched this movie, um, A Boy and His Dog. I don't know if you ever watched that. Not for a long time. Yeah, it's. So I can't remember. <laughs> it's um, I mean, I don't know that it's a great movie, but um, it you know it follows a um, I think he has a southern accent. This like sort of like like. I don't know, doofy, like, southern boy that's, like, walking across, like, a post-event, you know, United States that, that's all deserty, and he has to, like, dig down where the buildings are under rubble to, like, get canned food, and there's, like, you know, cannibals and stuff, and he has a dog that's, um, that, uh, that has, a uh, telepathy and that communicates with him, but, um... Okay. But anyway, so I thought the I thought the movie was cute, um, and uh, and I guess between those two things and um, and my general love of, of wacky bright colors, I think sort of like at least got me got me started on drawing Diggle Ale. I like the first issue was drawn out of sequence, like I hadn't like most of it's made up of um, single single page comics. Or like you know two to three, and I was just drawing the uh, like the no limits character walking around looking for food. So you know, it's almost a direct terrible rip off of the movie, at least initially. Um, from there, you're doing other work that doesn't really take place in a particular setting, um, like the pantomime stuff that you've been posting. And then the other thing I picked up, the, uh, was it Goodbye? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I'm really interested in, in doing stuff that um, that can be post-apocalyptic or it could just be just weird uh, characters existing in just this odd space or just odd characters. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm kind of like curious to see where it's going and kind of what you're thinking with doing these characters. You mentioned a little bit about the crazy cat, but I feel like there's kind of more to um, the setting mm-hmm. with these different works. Mm-hmm. Well, the the pantomime horse, the um, I uh, like going back to the um, the like student student insurrection that happened in high school. Um, I had, I guess you know, because I have I have wacky wacky anarchist politics, like the idea of getting together with your friends and sort of changing your, your position. Um, just narratives like that are exciting to me. And, um, and I have a lot of nostalgia about, you know, what, what I think really only maybe lasted a week for me in high school. Um, just this, like, uh, this idea of like friendship and exuberation and like, you know, fighting the system. Um, so the, the <laughs> So the setting in Pantomime Horse is actually the um, the setting of the school I went to, which which doesn't exist anymore. It got flattened, um, and I, I went and snuck onto the property a couple of years ago in the winter, 
Um, and I like came out to this clearing. I was like, I don't remember this clearing. And then I realized after like a good, like five minutes that I was standing in the spot that my dorm used to be in, um, which I think got me more thinking about, I don't know. I wanted to preserve some of that. I don't know something, even though it was a place I didn't enjoy, it felt important to me maybe, yeah, to, to try and, and draw the buildings again. So anyway, so all the buildings and, uh, and that stuff, um, that the, that the girls are in is my, is my school. And then the sort of the war setting is, you know, inspired by, uh, world war one, uh, imagery. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, goodbye. I, you know, there's like, I think that, um, like sometimes people will be like, you know, Ben, where do you get your ideas for settings and colors? And then they'll come and visit New Orleans and they'll be like, oh, it's just here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that there's like truth to that. It's like, you know, I've been li- I lived, you know, predominantly in two pretty, I guess, um, objectively kind of rough looking southern cities um, and, you know, like urban decay. Uh, is mm-hmm. a major feature, so I think I can't help but set um, particularly things that are meant to be really personal in that setting. Um, yeah. I like uh, in the back of uh, Goodbye, you, uh, the copyright thing you put in, the uh, there are no rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this, but I mean, if anyone bootlegged anything I did, I'm not I'm not not trying to see nobody. I mean, I might come to your house. <laughs> <laughs> I am a southerner well, in that it, way. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you could read the entirety of your black friend pretty easily online. Oh yeah, yeah. I was, like, yeah, it's always been important for my stuff to be free if I can make that happen. Yeah. Um. Now, the kind of segue into, like, the more political stuff, or the more obviously political stuff, um, with that book especially, um, was that kind of the first of doing a bunch of like things? Like, where did, kind of where did that one come from? What was the interest in that? Um, well, it was, um, it was a bunch of things. Like, I had a, I had a, me and, um, some housemates, um, kind of right before I left New Orleans, um, we started reading, uh, Franz Fanon's, um, what is it? It's like black skin, white masks, um, which is, uh, sort of like a psychoanalytical, um, or I'm trying to say it's like a, it's a psychoanalysis of like colonized people, uh, specifically African colonized people. Um, and it's just sort of talking about, um, I mean, it covers everything, um, but uh, there's a lot. I mean, there's just uh, it gave me, I think, a lot of language around dysphoria and disenfranchisement um, that I hadn't really had before. You know, like I think I would have described things as like feeling weird. Um, and I was living with this kid named Greg, who uh, you know were both black punks, but he was uh, his parents are Haitian. Um, and he was coming from that and my, my mom is white. So I'm, you know, I'm much lighter than he is and came from the country and he came from, uh, Boston. 
But anyway, we got to talking a lot about what was really similar about our experiences. Um, and also that we just hadn't really felt a whole lot of, um, like, confidence in talking about it. Like, we thought a lot of our frustrations or, or sort of weird feelings were really personal. Um, so, I don't know. Um, so, we were having that conversation, and I wanted to make, you know, a quick little comic for uh, Cake in Chicago and uh, Greg sort of said that I should try <laughs> I should try and make uh, a comic out of our, the conversations that we're having so he, he really made it happen because I you know like I said before I don't really I try to like um, write about you know things I feel very serious are very serious or sort of very emotionally connected to through like many screams of mediation um, <laughs> one being humor um, and maybe sci-fi I mean, you know, I mean, not just for my own sake, but just because I am afraid, I don't know, sometimes sincerity can just really kill an otherwise good book or, like, make it really hard to find a story that's entertaining for other people, Yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, often I'll, like, write down something out of catharsis and, and come to it a couple of days later, I'm like, no, nah, it's garbage. Um, but I didn't really have any time. <laughs> To really, you know, I like I drew the comic really quickly and I showed it to Greg and I'm like, Greg, I don't know, man. This seems like crazy ranting. Um, so everyone can blame Greg on making me actually print it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not ranty. It's just like it's just straight up, like yeah, yeah. Did you get a catharsis from it? Um. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the process of, of writing it sort of was like the completion of it. Like, it was the most exciting to talk to, to Greg and, and sort of write down these ideas, you know, these, like, snippets of things that we had talked about. Um, yeah. It's weird, yeah. I mean, making something really quickly and then not... I, you know, certainly didn't expect for people... To, uh, to take it as far as it's gone. Um, but I, I don't know, the most affirming part is when other people, other, you know, particularly other black kids who I feel like are really coming from a similar place um, will talk to me about it and be like, oh, it's the truth. Um, that feels really good. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, the conversation of race when it's like, you know, taken out of your, direct circle it just like goes in weird places some people want to you know uh james baldwin you you know what i mean <laughs> and make you a a voice a voice for for all similar shaded melanin um you know yeah. other people other people want to call you a stooge for um identity politics democrats and stuff um so you know so, i don't know it's like at a lot of points i feel like ended up getting lost um but i mean i guess that's just what happens when a bunch of people read it's stuff. that yeah that balance between the personal and political and understanding that the personal is really political mm -hmm. and respecting that yeah it's also like you know it's it's sort of been made into this um you know that like a people have approached it as like kind of a primer for white people um and i saw it when i was making it 
I did think that it would be good, you know, particularly for my for my wife friends, because I only really think about what the response will be in New Orleans in the punk scene, even though I know other people will read it. But I thought it would be good, uh, given the uh, the climate in New Orleans, for white people to realize sort of the um, the emotional relationship you know, the the black people in particular around them might be having to, um, yeah, you know, to the to them, to the things around them, to their own bodies, you know. Like, um, I, I've been having a lot of frustration. <laughs> I dated, I was dating this, uh, this white girl, and we had this bad breakup over um, a disagreement about hip-hop. Um, and I was like, you know, sometimes things are really basic. And, um, and or... Sometimes I don't realize, you know, what sort of real basic misunderstandings are happening. So it's been good for that. But I had certainly, you know, I have a, I have a, you know, I don't really think that things will improve that much for black people in America, specifically, or kind of anyone, unless there's like massive societal changes. So I'm not one of those people that are really hyped on calling out microaggressions all the time, or that's not like the beginning and ending of my politic. Um, so sometimes I get yeah. concerned when people are like, these are really good because now I know how to move about the world. I'm like, please don't forget that there's a critique of capitalism in there. It's pretty important. <laughs> <laughs> Your black friend is also not in the cops that's in there. Please don't gloss over that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i'm interested you, you talk about new orleans and kind of uh growing up in a in a not a not particularly large black community mm -hmm. in in western massachusetts and kind of for yourself um being a you know coming down to georgia and new orleans and being around more folks who like you know, straight up, like, look the same, like, and how that kind of, was there a shift for you being around this more, mm -hmm. being around a different culture? Mm -hmm. Um, it was, I mean, it was crazy because I had, I went from reform school where the school was only like, um, staff included maybe 200 people and I was there for, for four years. So I went from that to living with uh, my friend who also went from this, you know, came from that school so living in Boston together. And then from there I went to school in Georgia and I'd never been in the South before. Um, so the whole thing, like, you know, the world, the, the world generally was just a shock. And then the South was a shock. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. Like I, I went, there was not, there was only one other black student in my reform school and I got to, I went to SCAD and I had a, a whole lot of, a whole lot of friends. Um, and most of them were black. Um, so that was interesting. It's hard to separate, you know what I mean, like what was specific to coming out of a very white context into a very black one. You know, I was constantly yeah. not ever anyone's references, you know what I mean? It was hard to tell. <laughs> it was hard to tell if that was because I was around black people or <laughs> because I just hadn't been in the world for years. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was, it was tight. I mean, the South is crazy. The thing I like about the South is that I don't think 
you know, I, I may be a very pessimistic person, but there's sort of, um, it felt like people were more accepting of the way the world was in this very specific way and not even in like a fatalistic way, but I feel like in the Northeast, they really think that they're part of like, um, they're part of like the future, you know, they're like, (laughs) they're like, you know, they're, they're the castle on the hill. And that someday, you know, those troglodytes in the South will, uh, will be as like progressive as them. But like, you know, I, having grown up there, I was like, y'all are mad racist and shitty. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone is lying to themselves. And you get to the South, and for better or for worse, um, the racists mostly know that they're racist. Um, (laughs) No one is is lying to themselves. No one thinks, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a high high focus on on family and neighbors, um, which I felt like, which I felt reassuring. Obviously, it's got yeah. lots of problems, but, you know, that is the thing I like. There's something to be said about community and being a part of community. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it just, it's, uh, I feel like if you know, like, like I really got used to, um, like, walking by Confederate monuments, like, having people have, like, the Confederate flag, you know, like, about, like, on their out in front of their houses, you know, or like all over the t-shirts and stuff, like regularly, you know, like the, what is it? I I feel like one of my early interactions with police in Georgia, they pulled a gun on me, <laughs> just at a traffic stop. You know, it's, it didn't, it felt like, it felt like what was wrong was out in front of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, and that felt, that felt more workable um, in some ways. You know what I mean? I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I just became numb to it. I just felt like, all right, this is, this is the way things are. Um, and I can choose to take them head on or let them kind of crush me, which I think accounts for, um, yeah, I mean, Southern black people are, <laughs> they're amazing people. I mean, there's a reason, you know, Atlanta is, is basically the hip hop scene right now. Uh, it's yeah. just a, uh, it's just a vibrant, powerful people. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about kind of how, so you have this like upfrontness, you know, like, you know, this is a world you're navigating in with these, uh, monuments, um, with the, the, the flag, um, and from that you've, I mean, this week, just this previous weekend, um, with Charlottesville and the kind of shitstorm that's happening there, or happened there, and how we're still—it's still not, you know, shit's still happening because of it. The the the, the American fear is still saying stupid shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't really know where I'm going with what I'm particularly saying, as much as just kind of how within this time um, in the last year, kind of getting to do more work, reflecting your politics, reflecting your political experience, uh, and kind of the role that's playing. Because your black friend um, plays a particular role in, in a political way, um, but then the stuff you're doing for the nib, 
it, it's very different. I find it's 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 not the same side of the brain almost. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's more active. Where like friends, it's kind of like it's here. I've written this. Deal with it. Uh, with the other stuff, it's it's. Um, I don't know. I, I I said active. I guess I'm gonna stick with that. Like it's more responsive mm. and kind of navigating and current and could change and whatnot. Where the other work is kind of that's gonna be how it is. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Am, am I? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I get you. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm trying to be like way more specific. Um. In a way. It, it's yeah. also sort of crazy because, you know, like, your black friend, I finished drawing that, um, and then a, a really short time after that, um, this man in Baton Rouge called Alden Sterling got murdered by police. Um, and uh, it's, like, crazy, you know, for the longest time, you know, uh, I felt like the the thing that brought, I guess the thing that... Um, I feel like I was focusing the most on uh, when it came to, like, me going out to, like, demonstrations or, like, you know, engaging with the larger community around me. It was around police violence. You know, like, um, you know, that's what Black Lives Matter was all about. That was, like, one of the major mobilizations during the, the Obama administration was just, like, the waves of grief and frustration you know, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, just like over, you know, so, um, yeah. so it's interesting to think about your black friend, which is very, very much written in that context. And then my initial, you know, my initial, um, noob comics, I think, you know, we're focusing on, you know, white supremacy shit, but I think we, you know, we're very much in like a post Charlottesville era. And I think that conversation about white supremacy is, gone from like a very like very big large theoretical um discussion which i think is is still relevant in some ways the most relevant but now it feels like the whole world is talking about you know like an army at the gates um which i think there are good and bad things about that um i think with the with the nib stuff like i think something that has been in my head has been a frustration uh, specifically with the black left, um, like black lives matter, certainly, you know, as a, as a loose collection, um, definitely evokes, you know, like combinations of nostalgia for, um, for like, you know, SNCC um, and, and the black Panther party. um, Mm -hmm. But really, really sort of like failed, to me, to be uh, like a very effective uh, in the ways that I'd like to see, uh, you know, black people be when it comes to to having white supremacy. You know, I, I I mean, just historically, I'm way more a Black Panther Party kind of person. Um, <laughs> you know, if you take out the Maoism, um, <laughs> which, which I don't I don't know how much how much is left after that, but but I like the aesthetic. <laughs> Like most Americans, I think we yeah, like the you. You like to wear a good beret yeah. and carry an AK. Yeah, yeah. And... <laughs> but um, I mean, you know, I always like their their survival programs and stuff. I don't. Know, there was I um I started reading a whole whole lot actually about the Black Panther Party in a way I hadn't before. Like starting last year.
actually coming from this, but um, but I I think that there's like, you know, as you know, like Black Lives Matter has definitely been this um, this like focal point or this like fulcrum for people to like become active, um, but I think they have unfortunately reflected some of the bad parts of this, you know, sort of civil rights movement where there's an emphasis on respectability politics. Um, you know, a conversation about violence that feels like really retrograde um, and, and an overemphasis on trying to be coherent to, to government in this way that I think for individuals, I think is a bit self-serving, like, you know, the fact yeah, yeah, you know it's like D. Ray is, is interviewing Katy Perry. That's, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask like basically like his trying to run for mayor of Baltimore with. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, there was a there's a few of them. There are a few Black Lives Matter people that were running running for office, and it's like, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't believe in state politics, but I, I mean, I think part of that is like, um, it's. You know, during there was a, a time in the civil rights movement where people thought that black police was going to be the key to getting the police to stop murdering black people, to stop being so brutal. But now, you know, like if you talk to 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 any black person, particularly in a in a neighborhood in which the police are very present, you know, any of them will tell you that. And sometimes the black officers are more brutal than the white officers. Um which I think, you know, reveals that <laughs> there is a, a a more involved critique to be had that, that maybe having a militarized force um, <laughs> that is allowed to, to just come in and harass people is the problem. And I, I feel like that extends to government systems, too. And, and I know the world we live in and that there is, you know, reforms that need to happen to stem misery. But I think that there was just too too much of an emphasis on um, just very performative things, uh, performative actions. But anyway, so the NIV things are like, you know, I, there's definitely like an agenda to get kids to think a little differently about, um, about politics um, and about participation. Like when I was thinking about how to make them, I, I was like, I should put myself in there, you know, because I don't know, like... Um, and like this narrative with uh, and Black Lives Matter, and I've been in marches of mostly white people where people are like everyone has to protect the black people, like make a ring around the black people, and I'm like y'all are just gonna make me trip. I'm like <laughs> I'm like I'm not trying to have nobody protect me. Like no one protects me in life, you know. Um, like I am I'm fully aware of, of the risks that um, that whatever that are out there for me in the world. Um, so, so like why treat like black people who have been struggling with white supremacy since they, um, impolitely brought us here, um, and arguably before that. And I don't think that we need to, um, over, over prioritize safety because it doesn't exist. Yeah. That's performative. Mm hmm. No, one of the the strips you did uh, specifically the the take them down. What the what? Taking them down. Oh, taking them down. Taking them down. Yeah. Um, is is very kind of 
on the nose for 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 right now. Although it was done what seven months ago, six months ago, mm-hmm. it was published. Yeah. Um. And did you foresee, like, how sh- surprised are you, or not surprised at all by what's happening right now? I mean, we talk about Charlottesville, and then we're also talking about like, um, reaction stuff, like. I think one monument was tarred and feathered. I saw a photo of um, <laughs> right, and kind of, kind of your thoughts on on where that's coming from right now. Doing that strip then, mm. and then seeing this stuff now, um, and probably different political lens are being applied to it now than it was then. Right, and, and it's only six months. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I mean, when I when I watched the video of the kids taking the statue down in Durham, I was so excited because <laughs> that, yeah. that was obviously what I was advocating the most for. Um, they were so excited. I um, I mean, in terms of like seeing the the all right, quote unquote, you know, the Nazis, the fascists, and the Klan. Um, you know, coming out hard like they did in Charlottesville. I'm not personally like super, super surprised, but I think like if, uh, you know, I am, you know, most anarchists in the United States uh, like look to Europe and, you know, we've been watching, you know, group, you know, organizations like the Golden Dawn for a long time, you know, like rise up, you know, there's been a huge, you know, as you, as you, probably know like you know we've just been watching the rise of, of European fascism for a while and I've just for, you know have been like well it, it's gonna come <laughs> um, at some point and uh, and I remember some of my friends were looking at me crazy because I was like we need to talk to those you know the people that were in anti-racist action and anti-fa like way back in the day like all these dusty old gray punks they used to fight skinheads because they know, you know, because it's coming. My friends would be like, "Dude, no one's an no one's an antifa anymore." Um, and then watching, yeah, like uh, people, the all right here adopt the aesthetic um, and different ideologies from European fascist groups. So I don't know. I felt like I was watching, you know, a storm roll in for a while, um, and I and yeah. and I think because. I think for various various reasons, the broader left in the United States was not taking it very seriously. Like they didn't try to take Trump very seriously, and they didn't really take the all right very seriously. I think for various reasons. Um, and yeah, I remember my friends. I you know I, I happened to leave New Orleans right before um, you know the, the various militias showed up in New Orleans when the city started taking those monuments down my friends were telling me all about how they uh, showed up in body armor and machine guns. Um, and I just sort of was like, yeah, you know, like it's, um, you know, like I, I went around, you know, the, the debate about the monument was going on for a while and I would go to rural Louisiana and people would just, you know, <laughs> just start this conversation with me where they'd be like, you know, the monuments are history and people shouldn't be taking them down. Um, uh, which is nonsense, obviously. Uh, but I was just like, yeah, you know, if, if the all if the all right was really trying to get people to co-sign their presence at the very least, that was for sure going to be the thing. 
because um, I think yeah. I think the the white American South broadly I think is resentful about um, you know what they perceive as a as a as a lack of interest and understanding from the rest of the country. Um, well, it's mm-hmm. I mean it's also like one of the things. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's engaging with this is, is especially with the the white south is this like sense that like what do you mean things are hard for the black people things are hard for us because we're poor mm-hmm. um with without any you know it's that like that class consciousness thing um where you know I think you may have written about how folks get caught up in the class and ignore um the race end of it mm-hmm. and you know, it's that, like, we're poor, we're suffering, why do we care about other people's suffering? Um, we should have this righteous history that we were promised. Right. Um, you know, I don't know what I was saying with that. No, I mean, I think it's true. I mean, I think it's a problem that, that white people, because, you know, it definitely also is in the South, you know what I mean? But, but I think, but yeah, I mean, I think there's this thing where, where impoverished white people in particular have this idea that, that black people are winning super hard when I when in fact it's like I think black people are just just getting a, a bit more of a hearing you know what I mean for what our problems are yeah. um, which you know you know there there is the wage gap is a thing you know what I mean um, like things are not not super great but uh, they're still racists for thinking that black people are getting too much when we're really not 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 really getting that much. You know what I mean? And no. <laughs> and it's and yeah, I mean it's no. I'm not um I'm not understanding to not connect that uh you know a lot of this started with with the just the election of Obama. Um, that there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of white people who. You know, maybe maybe with some some conversations and some slideshows, they they would get on the right side of history. But <laughs> but they're racists now, definitely. Um, so yeah, and I mean, it is a real thing. Like not to be too conspiratorial, but you know, Richard Spencer is a rich kid. You know, he's not. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. there's a lot of these a lot of these kids. These leaders have a lot of money, so I do think there is. There is something to, um, you know, the more well, more wealthy racist using this this false populism. Yeah. No. Exactly. No. And and I agree completely. Like it's you're you're fomenting um, a mar- I don't want to say marginalized, but you're fomenting a population um, and kind of stewing this out of them for your own gains. And it may be populism. It may be financial. Like there are advantages to be had. Um, in certain situations where you foment mm-hmm. drama and stuff, and you know, there's there's always capital to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to gentrification, yeah, and pushing people out of communities, making communities uncomfortable to live in, so you can buy the places and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the other thing that that worries me is like the conversations that stopped. Um, you know, because there is such an obvious enemy, um, you know, which is, uh, also what I felt like just when Trump got elected, you know, like I worried about, 
like the left really needed to come <laughs> needed really needed to come to Jesus about a lot of things. You know, there was a lot of failures about the Obama administration. Um, mm-hmm. Like I was asked, the NIV asked me and a bunch of other black cartoonists to have a conversation about the Obama administration that did not go well because <laughs> people really didn't want to hear critiques of him. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things we're just really not going to get to, um, you know, because of the, the current, the current, uh, political environment. I, I mean, there, there's some, there's some good things about it, you know, like, um, since, since Charlottesville, you know, people like Cornel West have been like, you know, if Antifa and the anarchists weren't there, we would have been crushed. Um, like, I think there's, there's people are now valuing people that they, <laughs> probably snitched on wearing masks just, you know, a couple months ago um, and realizing the value of uh, a communities that are based in struggle. Um, that's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I was thinking back to like what you're saying earlier about what to learn from, from other communities mm-hmm. um, of how they respond. I remember, God, I was like 19, I think, and I had a couple of German punks staying at our house and uh, just telling me all the stories of the clashes with skinheads mm. and neo-Nazis. Mm-hmm. And Germans especially take that shit personally. Yeah, um, And they, they don't fuck around with that and just like the bloody brawls and it's just this is what you're seeing now. Mm-hmm. Only it's like a redneck version. Yeah. <laughs> um, Maybe that was a little too hard. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's accurate. It's yeah. fairly accurate. Yeah. Ugh. Um. So where do we go from here? What 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 is the kind of organizing principle to respond at a time like this? Like how to how do you navigate post Charles? Mm. I mean, there's. I mean, I think people need to be much smarter about how to face, you know, this enemy, um, this, you know, this sort of particular enemy, you know, this, um, this, this sort of idea that, um, that you can go out to a march and, and do chants and sort of like pretend to be dead is, (laughs) I feel like everyone now knows that that's not terribly effective. Um, which is, which is not to say that everyone is capable of, uh, of going out and throwing bricks at Nazis, uh, although I do think that's what should happen. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think just in terms of marches, I, I, I think being goal-oriented is good, you know, bringing water, bringing, bringing your uh, vinegar-soaked rags or tear gas, um, valuing everybody's approach. You know what I mean? The diversity of tactics yeah. that are used for that environment. But also there's just a lot... You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of people on Tumblr and Twitter that wanna wanna re repost black voices, um, and these these people are not black themselves. And I appreciate that that they got on point politics. They but they probably got a, a lot of a lot of people in their family that are not Nazis and are not clan members, but are like people like my mother, unfortunately who have very regressive and problematic ideas about race and have a very revisionist idea of history. Uh, and they should really focus on talking to those people. 
because those are those are the people that are co-signing, you know, the actions of these actual like actual racists. Um, yeah. It's been nice to see things like uh, there's like Redneck Revolt, which is um, uh, which are leftist uh, white folks that go to NASCAR rallies and gun shows, um, and uh, and they've got the same agenda. You know, Antifa kind of does, you know what I mean? But they're they're going to, to historically white places to um, to give people a counter-narrative about race uh, and class in the United States. Yeah. I mean, gun shows particular. I used to go to gun shows, um, you know, because I was a, a fake Southerner, so I got to buy guns. But you go there and there's, you know, there's Confederate history truth and um, people with their Nazi memorabilia, you know what I mean? So... Right is the all right is has been out there for a while. There's a an army surplus store not far from where I live where they have little Nazi flags you can buy. That's cute. Canada, you know that's <laughs> can West Coast Canada. Yeah. You know it's uh it it's everywhere and you're just you're not paying attention. I'm sure it's just a fetish thing. Uh, no, actually, um, I've, I've been in, we have, uh, we have a pretty bad Nazi, um, population in North Mm -hmm. Sydney, which isn't far from where I am. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, one of the things about Vancouver, uh, that people don't really talk about is, um, we have a pretty small black population, Mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot of black folks that ended up moving to other cities because it's just, you know. Mm -hmm. You don't have there. There's not really the community here, and so it's Vancouver's very whitewashed. Um, so it seems like it's, I know Washington is. There's tons of Nazis in Washington. Yeah, Oregon, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's where you had that town. What last Christmas? Christmas before last? It was last Christmas, wasn't it? Where they uh, took over the indigenous. Um, gravesite and can and park area, the Bundys. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The Bund- Oh man, that feels like yeah. forever ago. Yeah, I was just thinking the, I was I thinking of stabbing. I forgot about the Bundys. Yeah, the the worst yeah. occupation <laughs> in history. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's another thing. Like, <laughs> just how doofy Doesn't that feel all this like- shit is. Yeah. Doesn't that feel like kind of quaint at this mm, point? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that was that was kind of dumb. Someone sent them a garbage bag full of dildos. <laughs> the fact that they ran out of food immediately, I thought was hilarious. Just having, yeah. having, having, you know, a long time ago at this point, locked myself up in a building with other people as part of an <laughs> occupation. You, you got to have your logistics in order. <laughs> but it's it's sort of it's something I was thinking about watching uh, Charlottesville. All these guys and they're like with their with their you know their batons and their guns and their shields, you know, like um, fighting fighting Antifa kids who you know for the most part only had their hands. You can just see like that's just one of the many evidences of like the different. The like mass, like hugely different relationship the police have to these two groups, because you know, like 
for years I'd hear about people getting locked up for having bringing shields to demos, right? So like the the Antifa yeah. is used to not being able to bring anything because they'll get searched, they'll get stopped on the highway. <laughs> but clearly, the the all right has none of this experience because there's not an Antifa in the world that would be caught dead with body armor and a huge, you know, like St. Michael's or something, like huge, like, Viking shield, you know. Um, so it's like yeah. you can't even – all these people, they don't even see but, how I the mean, privilege is playing into, like, <laughs> what the <laughs> weapons they can bring to the march. But they're still coming up with them. Yeah, no, and it's not going to change. No. Um, and I think um, – it's foolish to pretend that that things are getting better anytime. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I I think that there's, you know, I mean, I think one of the benefits I've had to living in the South is that we've been dealing with, um, you know, conversations like this for a long time. And I think that there's yeah. like, it seems scary because it feels like everyday life, you know, like a, like a comfortable everyday life is maybe could be, you know, potentially be permanently interrupted. But, you know, there's um, there's a lot of joy and meaning to come out of a life that's sort of reorganized around, you know, advocating for your and your friends sort of like liberation and freedom. Um, and it, it could be very, very yeah. different. But, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's like one of the long-term things about, you know, that's important. Like you don't, have to think of yourself as like suddenly becoming an activist which I don't think is a good thing I think <laughs> any sort of classism is bad including classing your, yourself as an as a activist but just organizing your life around uh, a way to be happy about resisting things like Nazis I think is is a, is a good thing and if you do it right they'll go away and they'll never come back <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, thank you, Ben. <laughs> Optimism. That's rare. You don't know. That's yeah. mad rare coming from me. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll I'll take the I'll I'll take what I got. Um, <laughs> and I think that's kind of a a good point to end on is the that idea of of how folks can come together um, and persevere through through times of, of just shit. <laughs> and sorry, I, I don't have uh, better metaphors for, for it. Um, yeah, yeah. It's shitty, but at least the enemy is obvious. Damn. Yeah. Was, uh, I don't have to hear about There's... body cameras for at least a year. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> there was this um, documentary uh, on this band, Leibach. They're this uh, Serbian industrial band in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And their whole shtick was dressing fascist, and everyone thought they were fascist because mm-hmm. um, they're part of this whole weird art movement and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the the idea though wasn't particularly that they're fascist; is that everyone around them is fascist but pretends they're not. Oh, I see. And so it's just like this is who we are. And so, like when Milosevic was elected. That was like indicative of what Leibach was mm-hmm, saying, mm-hmm. and there's something about that where like these worst primal instincts are still existing, 
within folks and and i think like that that's an example of just like how how that can happen when people think everything's fine and it's not, mm-hmm. and it and it's it's under the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. It's probably not a good <laughs> not good to dress up like a Nazi. <laughs> no. You're just gonna get hit. But yeah, the the sentiment is correct. <laughs> yeah. Definitely correct. They weren't necessarily not dressing up like Nazis, mm-hmm. but as much as like military. Oh, I see. Like very. I guess even Ramstein does that. Yeah, well, Ramstein w- would have taken quite a lot from from Leibach. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, Leibach's a good like ten years for them. <laughs> True. Um, and, and then Leibach would do like weird industrial mil- militaristic covers of things, like they did the whole "Let It Be" album by the Beatles. <laughs> I gotta look this up. You're giving me all the you're giving me all the the deep cuts. I'm gonna have to Google. Yeah. There we go. Um, and then we should make mention you're working on another strip right now for the new. Yeah, yeah, actually, um, yeah, because I started it, started it before the Charlottesville thing, but it was about a different Charlottesville march and the ACLU. Um, but obviously now it will just be about the current thing that happened in Charlottesville and the ACLU because that's an important conversation. And by that, are you referring to the fact that, like, they sell you of how they kind of try and play sides or the mm-hmm. idea of free speech is paramount over hate speech? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I'm, I'm using the ACLU as an example, um, but I think it, you know, I think that um, the ACLU is like a, like an ideological failure um, just because just because if your if your highest priority is just reinforcing the law, even if I don't know, even if you're essentially a liberal organization, which I guess historically has been, so law already preferences you know white males, um, so you end up reinforcing you know white supremacy, even if your intention is not necessarily to do that. Um, I feel you know I feel like. Um, you know, kind of ambivalent about the ACLU. Like, I I hadn't done a deep dive into like a lot of the cases that they do, and they do do a lot of things that seem good, um, but it it's troubling that they get millions and millions of dollars, and there's a lot of organizations out there, you know, studying, investigating, and um and really trying to like get or get rid of uh, fascist groups, like basically every. Any anti that's in your city is um, is uh, is dealing with confronting Nazis, being doxxed and harassed by Nazis, probably going to jail, um, and they uh, they're not doing it with millions of dollars. Um, so I think you know that I think the crux of my point is is that um, that that you know we should we should be really critical about this ideological approach. That, um, that really prioritizes stability in society as it is um, and think about supporting other people. Mm-hmm. It's interesting with, the, with, with and I'm going to play generalized Americans where you have this idea <laughs> of like civil rights or the civil, li- I mean it's a civil liberties thing, so the idea is like your constitutional rights are are um, paramount but the, the the difference that the europeans do is the hate speech isn't allowed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
right. know, France, Germany, especially, um, you can go to jail for hate speech. Where in the states, it's it's protected, and I think that's that really big idea is like, why are we? And I know like contemporary cartoonists who like this is this is ingrained. This is important to defend that. I'm like, I don't know why it's important to defend hate speech. Like, right. I don't really get it. It's like in defending the ability to shout fire in a theater. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hate speech ferments hate. It's 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 a it's a lever in creating more mm-hmm. hate. And I'm definitely not in favor. Yeah. And I'll probably bother people with that, but I'm sorry, libertarians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean I guess what's unfortunate I I'm trying not to go deep dives into my, my net political ideas, but <laughs> but um yeah, I mean in a broader way I'm not a fan of like whatever laws the government ultimately makes, it's you know, its highest priority is going to preserve itself. Um and in America it's a white supremacist state. I don't care how many yeah. how many coffee colored presidents we have, it still is. So I feel you know, so it's like I don't I don't trust even if even if there were laws hate speech, you know what I mean? The the priority is gonna be they stability, be not not the protection of um of any yeah. any people's um I guess what's inferred I guess is, is rich white white dudes is, is the most protected. Yeah. So that's kind of my feeling about it. You know, I, I um Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like whatever the ACLU is gonna do what it's gonna do. I guess I think for just everyday people just relying on the government to make a moral decision, I think you're gonna be waiting forever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean it's it's cool. Like I I just read in the paper about a Nazi knocking out <laughs> was an American tourist for a Sikh Heiling <laughs> in front of the shag. Oh, a German? Yeah, yeah, Not a Nazi. No, no, not a, not a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the war's been over for a while now, Ben, just, just in case you weren't sure. It's been about 70 no, years. No, they did good. That's what I'm saying. The, the Germans are yeah. keeping it going. So I guess if a law is yeah. promoting that, then I don't know. Maybe I'll yeah. think about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me oh, today. Of course. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me up. Uh, you're going to be at SPX. I will. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I got that Ignatz nomination. So there you go, folks. Go and uh, go and uh, vote for. Yeah, vote for me. It's the only it's voting I'm into. So you got you to gotta get into it. <laughs> And this one you can really stuff it down. <laughs> um, yeah. Literally. The popular um, vote really wins this one. Yep. There we go. Uh, any other shows that you'll be coming up to in the Um I don't think I'm going to any of those shows. I run a show in New Orleans called the New Orleans Independent Comic and Zine Festival that I want everyone to go to. Okay. But um that's in November. Oh nice. But that's the only one I'll be at. Well, I hope one day to come down yeah. and check it out. Come on down. We'll we'll shoot guns. You can get drunk at the same time. I just want to eat a lot of barbecue. <laughs> that's, that's my priority. We can do that. Um, we'll, we'll barbecue an alligator. I'll think about that one. <laughs> okay, you let me know. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks so All much, right, Ben. Pete.
run, run nigga, run nigga, run nigga. I've been back since 91, picky picky, hold your tongue, run nigga, run nigga, run nigga. What you want, some open craves, I'll make you catch this fucking fate. My tendencies be fuck the lover, mama said just look away. Hands up, keep my weapon on me, Blade me, took some what's up, homie. Friday night and cruising slow, they pull me over, I record it. Bow my head and kiss his ass, and this bacon did smell off. Black and white unite my rights, these crooked cops, they hate my sight. Black as skin, a black as snake from Africa, my father came from Mother Earth, he saw the dirt from broken souls to heal the curse. Public enemy, my felony was being black as fuck. Any mini manny mowing, hang him up and take his lunch. Call the homies, call my mama, take his back and fuck him up then. Fuck him up and make him cry, remember where we lived to die. Nigga, what the fuck is wrong with you? 